Welcome to the Callcast and the Mothermost podcast in the world. Throughout eight episodes, we will give you an insight to the exciting research that goes on at the University Centre in Svalbard, or UNIS as we like to call it. You will meet professors and students who are passionate about their cold climate research and learn more about the Arctic, both as a field of study, but also as a place people call home. My name is Maria Filippa Rossi and I'm your host today. And uh, today we have a full studio, not only one uh, guest, but three, and they're all from the Arctic Safety Centre here at UNIS. Very welcome, Holt Hancock, Siri Wikström and uh, Stig Andreas Johannesson. Well, uh, maybe we should start. Uh, what is the Arctic Safety Centre, Stig? I think uh, maybe we should uh, start at the very beginning then, uh, because at UNIS we first started with this uh, support function which we call uh, logistics, but it's called the, what is it, the operation and field safety now. And uh, throughout the years of running experiments and so forth, UNIS really came to have acute expertise within uh, the field of uh, Arctic research and uh, supporting Arctic research through logistics. And um, Arctic Safety Center is the merging between science and practice, where we take these things that we have learned and we implement them into courses such as uh, our safety courses, where people learn how to scare off a polar bear or protect against it, how to go on sea ice, how to rescue someone who's fallen into a crevasse and so forth. And then it goes all the way through our master courses, which is more about risk management, preparedness work and um, human factors, for example and all the way in the end to research. Because UNIS has uh, 750 students throughout a year and they all go out in the field. And of course, Arctic safety is uh, its important for all of them. They need to gain some skills before entering uh, all kinds of field work. And that's where Arctic Safety Center also assists. We, uh, we have the general safety courses uh, for every course, uh, depending on season, you'll have to learn some particular set of skills in summer season. You'll learn uh, how to do the polar bear part where you learn how to operate the gun safely and how to operate the flare gun. Going on there, we have the sea, sea ice course, we have the avalanche course, we have the avalanche rescue course, we have the first aid course, but it really depends on what kind of hazards are you exposed to in your field work. Uh, everyone goes through these courses, then we have the Arctic Nature Guide course, which also have a safety management and leadership course where they really just need to know how to do practical safety management. A similar course is our AS302 master course, which is about safety management as well. We get a bit more abstract into safety management in AS303, which uh, is mostly about how to deal with preparedness. Like how do you prepare? What resources do you need? What do you do when the crisis sets in? Mm. And um, this this episode is being recorded in uh, mid-April 2023, so the Easter holiday just finished a couple of days ago. And uh, whilst mainland Norway, I've had lots of snaps throughout the Easter of beautiful weather and sunshine. But up here in Svalbard, there's been uh, quite the opposite. Siri, can you tell a bit what have we experienced weather-wise over the Easter? Yes, so, so we have, unfortunately, we were under the influence of very active storm track. So we got a lot of low pressures that are these kind of 
windy features in the atmosphere that come with warm air and precipitation. And they usually come in pairs. So when you have a sunny high pressure weather on the mainland, we then unfortunately got this, got this windy, windy weather. So we actually got two low pressure systems coming in over the Easter weekend and they both came with warm temperatures. We even had rain here on the Thursday in the Easter week and then for Svalbard, a lot of snow, which is, of course, very nice, but maybe not what you wanted when you are traveling around in the terrain and we got increased avalanche danger. And But yeah, we had some weather, which is, of course, as a meteorologist, also nice. Yeah. Would you would you call it normal? Mm, I think normal is a bit of a tricky concept because in, in climate science and in meteorology, when we talk about normals, we always talk about this 30-year periods. So it's almost a 30-year slot where we think that the climate is stable enough that it's not changing a lot, but also that it's a long enough period that, say, one warm month won't throw off the off the averages. But here in Svalbard, when the when the climate is uh, changing, but it, but the second thing that I, the point I want to make is that it's very variable. We've always had a lot of weather, so I would say it was a lot of snow for Svalbard, and it's probably at the edge of being normal. But we have to remember that in the Arctic, the normal has a, it has a huge spread. Mm. And the the snow has caused a lot of avalanche danger up to grade four on several days. And that's your speciality, uh, Holt. Can you explain a bit about your work on avalanches in and around Longyearbyen? Yeah, so I moved to Longyearbyen to do a PhD on snow and snow processes in the Arctic Geology Department. And most of my work there focused on different strategies to measure both kind of how the snow is spread out in the terrain. So what we would call snow distribution, primarily in Longyearbyen or the Longyear Valley that Longyearbyen sits in, but also try to figure out kind of how we can monitor when and where avalanches go. Currently, I'm working as a researcher in the Arctic Safety Center And that's kind of a bit where kind of the theory or some of this scientific work that I focused on a lot in the PhD to start to figure out how we can kind of apply that to actually help both individuals and maybe even the community be a bit safer. So that's kind of where the the applied bit of our work comes in. And so in terms of like the avalanche danger or the avalanche hazard that we saw over Easter, a lot of that was, as series saying, related to that we just got so much snow. So, I mean, those of us that tried to get out at least uh, over the week noticed that there was, you know, in places up to a half meter of, of fresh snow, which is is quite a lot for Svalbard. And I would actually say that I'm I'm unsure that I've seen more fresh snow since I've lived up here at least. And so kind of what I work on it in the Arctic Safety Center is kind of better ways to manage this avalanche risk. So as people or infrastructure are exposed to these avalanche hazards, how can we kind of mitigate that risk? And one of the ways is, as you're saying, through avalanche forecasting, which is attempting to um, at least give some indication to people where and when avalanches may release. People live in Longyearbyen and we have the tall mountains all around us and you can predict an avalanche but not necessarily move the whole city and it's transferable to the mainland as well where we have people in villages with tall mountains around. How do you help the people avoid an, an avalanche? Well, so what that's one of the work in terms of this 
predicting where and when avalanches could potentially go. So one of the things that we've worked with at the Arctic Safety Center for, I think, five or six years now, which is pretty cool, is that we have a collaboration with Telenor Svalbard. They've kind of developed these sensor systems that are based on um, narrowband Internet of Things technology. So they're pretty light and they're pretty cheap. Um, it's very similar technology to what people might use in a smart home or something to get your garage door to open via your phone or something. But it's the same in the same kind of um, data transfer is sending essentially data in terms of the snow depth in avalanche release areas. So kind of one of the key factors you want to think about it if and when an avalanche is going to go is how much snow is actually in these steep mountain slopes that the avalanche can release from. And so we kind of have worked to develop a network of these sensors here in Longyearbyen. And it turned out that they uh, actually measured snow relatively well and were able to transfer that data to avalanche forecasters or other risk managers basically in more or less real time. So you find out how much snow is in an avalanche release area about 15 minutes. Every 15 minutes, you get a measurement. And that system worked well enough here that they were actually contacted by the Nordkop Kommune, so Honingsvog in, in northern Norway, which actually, um, in terms of the physiographic or the kind of the topography is very similar to, to Longyearbyen in that there's a small village basically situated at the foot of pretty steep mountain slopes. And they do get a fair amount of weather because they're up adjacent kind of to the, well, they are very adjacent to the ocean. And so you, they get quite a bit of snow and have this developing avalanche danger from these big snowstorms. So they are also using these sensors, which give an indication of, okay, now it's starting to be a lot of new snow in the avalanche release areas. We may have a time where we need to be a little bit more observant that, okay, potentially avalanches can release. We need to be thinking about some kind of mitigation measures. And in Honingsvog, that's typically evacuation of residents in in areas where avalanches could hit the buildings. Mm Here in Longyearbyen, has the cooperation with the uh, authorities? When you are aware of uh, the snow building up, who decides whether to evacuate or not? So there's a what I would call an avalanche forecasting system that is uh, involves many actors. There's snow and avalanche observers that are hired the, through the Arctic Safety Center. Both the city and I work as those, and so you're the we're the people that live in Longyearbyen and are kind of seeing the the weather and the snow on a day-to-day basis. We send our snow observations to a private consulting firm that is contracted out by NVE, and they will send out a hazard forecast. And then based on that hazard forecast, either Lokalstede or Sisselmesteren, and it's actually Sisselmesteren that makes a decision on what kind of measures might need to be put in place to reduce the risk. And those can be closing roads, evacuating houses, etc. How does um, the Arctic Safety Center sort of work in general with public awareness? How do you get the information that you basically sit on out to the wider public so they travel or act more safely in the natural environment? Well, these podcasts would be uh, one uh, possibility. We've uh, Siri and I and Martin, the uh, leader of the Arctic Safety Center, had a Svalbard uh, seminar about um, kind of 
the the again this this field safety or kind of some of this scientific knowledge and or what you might call research-based uh, scientific knowledge here, how that kind of can impact, for example, a trip over your Easter, kind of how you can kind of build upon that scientific knowledge to make better operational decisions in uh, in your day-to-day life. And, and then I think it's uh, maybe worth mentioning that the research we do here is um, we're all actually, all three of us working in this project called ArcTrisk, and that has very close collaboration with uh, local actors. So we look at climate risk management and uh, mitigation, and there we have uh, used uh, used time together with both local students or the local municipality and Sysselmestan and also some companies like the Sturenorska, the coal company, kind of share of our knowledge, especially about the climate change. And also for us to learn from them what kind of data or information would they need to work with the societal safety and mitigation of this climate-related risk. So what kind of, how could the science in best possible way kind of back up the local decision makers so that we we both on the short-term and long-term plan for a safe society and... Mm. I mean, Longyearbyen has a fairly high turnover of people. Quite a few people move both up and down every year. Is that a risk hazard that a lot of new people enters every season without the prior knowledge from last year? Yeah, so we have a lot of turnover. The population is quite transient. The biggest problem with this is that when people come here, uh, they... um, they gain knowledge quite quickly through the season, but uh, they don't get a lot of variation, right? Uh, and a lot of people will go straight into positions uh, where knowledge is uh, very much necessary and local knowledge is very much necessary. And they kind of have to play catch up. And uh, the comment we get from um, people we have talked to is that they feel like they're finally caught up when they're f- leaving. So, Do you have any uh, suggestions on, on how people quicker could get the required knowledge for living in the Arctic? I mean, we have these safety courses here at Unis. Uh, we do external courses as well in winter. Uh, we used to have our uh, further education program in safety. We don't anymore, but we might bring it back. And there's also how to let the knowledge live within within the organizations, right? It's one thing to have documents with your, uh, within your organization that says that this thing has happened and we have coastal erosion, we have permafrost variation, and we have different kinds of avalanche danger. But another thing is to actually teach people this. And I think what's missing is maybe this uh, transfer period from one person to another person within an organization because there is no handover there. Siri, you mentioned uh, climate change uh, initially and that the everything up, up in Svalbard happens a lot faster than the rest of the world. Why is it so important to study the changes here? I think you kind of said it. We are unfortunately a real hotspot of climate changes, at least if we look at the past 50 years. We've lost a lot of ice on the eastern side of the archipelago, especially in the winter. And this has led to that we have have the highest winter warmings globally measured here, especially in the northeastern part of the archipelago. But we also see it from the from the long time series here in Longebjörn. And Longebjörn is a place where we can study kind of a society that already experiences these changes, whereas elsewhere in the world they they might not be there yet or they are projected to come later. So it's kind of 
we in a way can get a sneak peek into how it is to live with these climate changes just outside your window. And how has it changed over five, ten, twenty years? I think the kind of the sea ice is this big symbol or the manifestation of up here. So we've we've gotten a lot of heat up in the ocean that also prohibits the freezing of the ocean. So we we get and when we remove the sea ice, it's like we open up for a we take the lid of a boiling pasta pot. So suddenly there's a lot of lot of energy and water vapor available for the atmosphere. And then this also makes it easier to make clouds. And when we can make clouds, we can also create precipitation. And uh, Svalbard is known as an Arctic desert. But I think for most of us lived here this season, I, I don't think we really can sign under this uh, or agree with this. So we are moving into a into a climate with more precipitation and generally warmer temperatures. Last summer was again a record warm summer, so it was 2020, so we get a lot of um, glacier melt. So this affects the hydrology, the water has to go somewhere. Then I, I don't know if you already had a podcast about permafrost, but this our frozen ground is of course also exposed to more heat. Uh, but so there's there's many elements in the Arctic that rely on being frozen. And when we turn off the turn up the heat, we get closer to these conditions when it's not frozen anymore, and that implies large changes in the in the natural environment up here. How can people live safely with the climate change and the warming in an environment such as Longyearbyen? I think we need to we need to study it. We need to create knowledge about it. We need to be very good at communicating the knowledge out to the people who who make these decisions about where we live, how we live, how we build, and uh, how we travel. So it's uh, but of course with large changes comes large uncertainties. So we need to operate uh, with larger margins there's more unknowns around and uh, we can we can of course forecast and project and we globally the communities run these climate projections we try to understand it but but it's it's in the future and and the climate system is extremely complex so we don't uh, even dream about knowing knowing everything we just um, have to use these uh, climate reports as guidelines and kind of prepare to our best ability is is my take on it. What is the future of uh, the Arctic Safety Center? So this uh, project that employs all of us three now that's done in 2024. Mm-hmm. So it's uh it was a four year project. Yeah. That kind of the resources were targeted to understand this climate risk and uh, and I hope we have already come some way and I hope in the last year we can wrap up all the knowledge we've created and uh, hopefully then build further on that. But this Arcturisk project will be done in 2024. Just uh, just finally, when you prepare and go out cabin trip in the field, do you take all this data into consideration? I would say we definitely try to. In terms of uh, trip planning, is it necessarily that you're going through and checking all your data from the last 30 years at UNIS? But Potentially not, but what you're kind of thinking about is that ideally what we'd like is these readily available data sources. For example, the maybe you're looking at a sea ice chart or maybe you're looking at the weather stations around Longyearbyen to see what your wind conditions are. Maybe you're looking at the varsum.no, the avalanche forecast for Norden Shoaland. And if you have at least some idea of the kind of the wealth of knowledge or the data that these 
resources are built up on, I think it helps add context to kind of the decisions you're making based on those resources. For example, if you're looking at an, the avalanche forecast and it's saying that, okay, people are reporting that you have 30 or 40 centimeters of loose snow out in Fardalen or in Advantalen, and you can think, okay, well, that means in terms of Svalbard, that's a ton of loose snow. That might start triggering some alarm bells in your head saying, okay, maybe we have slightly abnormal or weird conditions. And that's just something that you might take a little bit of extra caution. You might add a little bit to your personal safety margins when when you're actually going out on that trip. All right. Well, thank you very much for um, joining me today and uh, safe travels. The Coldcast is made by technician Siemens Alemonsen-Jelle and uh, myself, Maria Filippa-Rossi. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you.